Friday again, so it's the time for the episode of the Week in Review. My name is Michael Crutcher, Jordan McDonald, welcome. Hi, Michael. Friday, January 20. Mm. It's quick, isn't it? Very, very quick, almost a month down. It's amazing, so yeah. fast. Uh, and because it's Friday, January 20, that means we're in the staple diet for Australia at the moment of uh, sport. Tennis is on. Yes. A bit of cricket is on. Um, <clears throat> have you been watching the tennis, Jordan? The Australian Open on Channel 9, the big ticket item for Channel 9? I've oh, been watching a little bit, I've mainly the last two days, but I must admit I'm not as interested this year as I have been previously without some of those big names. You know, and I don't know enough about the younger Australian players either, so I don't feel as compelled to watch. Um, well, look, this is the fascinating thing, though, isn't it? Because we've spoken a lot about where sport fits for TV mm. in Australia. So yeah. free-to-air TV is sport, reality TV, uh, news. And the Australian Open is seen as gone between 7 and Channel 9 in recent years, and it's seen yep. as that big platform to kick the year off so you get big eyeballs and you get the chance to show your advertisements of the shows that are coming up this year nine took it over from seven which was the long time host seven's got the cricket they swapped over um and what we've seen this year is quite interesting because it's almost been the australian open where things have gone wrong so nick kyrgios pulled out yes he is box office for uh TV ratings, as we know. People yep. love him or hate him, but, but yep. they watch him. <coughs> Ash Barty has retired. Yep. Uh, the world number one, um, who is a young player, withdrew on the eve of the tournament. Mm-hmm. The um, Rafael Nadal, the defending champ, gone in the second round. Yep. So <coughs> we're losing these big draw cards, which is what you need to get people to watch the tennis. They're not just going to watch it for a love of the game. They're watching it for personalities. So I found it really quite interesting at the moment. And I looked through the women's seeds the other day uh, and not many of those names jumped out at me as ones that people are going to watch. No, I'm the um, same. So, Jordan, what have the TV ratings been like for nine? Been a tough start, as you mentioned, you know, losing some of the big names, Kyrgios, but nobody, Naomi Osaka and Angelique Kerber, yeah, they're all course. gone. They're gone too, yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, we only had 357,000 tuned in that first day, um, which sat them behind Home and Away and, and the Chase Australia, who earned both uh, 460,000 plus viewers. Uh, day two was a little bit better, 360,000 viewers, falling short again to Home and Away and the Chase. Um, but day three, we started to get a nice little boost there. Some of the matchups started to get a bit, bit more exciting. The, uh, the two Australians in Milman v Medvedev and Tsitsipas versus Hijikata, they were particularly popular. Um, but day three also marked, as you mentioned, the, the loss of probably the biggest name in the tournament, Nadal, who lost to injury there. But um, viewership came in at 408,000. And then yesterday was probably the strongest day so far. 522,000 tuned in to watch uh, Dimonor defeat Francis Adrian Manorino and then 482,000 tuned in to watch the Marathon Kokonakis uh, v Murray match. Um, but that only reflects part of the viewership because it obviously ran into the next 
day, the next date, so we don't get a full reflection of that. Yeah, so that match ended this morning at a local time just past 4am, mm. and the match went for nearly five hours, 45 minutes. Um, a fair bit of coverage here at the time about, you know, should matches go so long? Should, should they be so long? And, yeah, I mean, not so much so long, but should they go so late? People in the US and the UK can watch them, but when you're Channel 9 and you're paying such big money as an Australian broadcaster to show this event, you're not getting a whole lot of money, a lot back for your money mm. when you've got matches on at uh, 3 in the morning when yeah. we'd normally be watching Wimbledon. So just interesting on, on this one, there's been some resurgence in the cricket in the Big Bash. The numbers have been pretty good for the Big Bash lately. Uh, ratings are up after a period of criticism that the Big Bash was getting uh, stale and things needed to change. Now this morning there's coverage about maybe uh, the season shouldn't be cut in Big Bash. So I think all of these things are going into the mix here. And the reason we're seeing a lot about this, and there's, there's a reason here, is because the cricket and the tennis rights are both owned by the most prominent media companies in Australia. Mm -hmm. So Channel 9 owns the media rights uh, for uh, for the tennis. Their Channel 9 also owns the Sydney Morning Herald, the Brisbane Times, The Age, um, obviously Channel 9 TV and a whole bunch of radio stations. So, you know, you've got to look at that coverage and go, well, you know, it's in the interest of Nine to build up the Australian Open to be really good. Yeah. Now, on the, on the flip side, News Corp, which runs Fox Sports and KO, of course, has the rights for the cricket. Mm -hmm. So it's in News Corp's uh, interest as well to talk up the cricket to make it, you know, look really good and interesting. And, and so but that's the way media works in Australia. So whether we like it or not, but I just think when we're looking at all this stuff and all this criticism, obviously News Corp, um, you know, can point out the, the woes with Channel 9 and its television ratings for the tennis, just as Nine can point out you know, any struggles with the Big Bash um, and any viewing numbers over the Australian cricket summer, it's in their interest to do yes. it. Now, whether or not that is driving them, well, that's up for debate. We don't know what those things are. But I always think, uh, you know, keep in mind where some of these uh, discussions are coming from. But there is no doubt at the moment that this Australian Open is not grabbing the attention like previous ones have. We're down on some of these stars and that's just the way sport goes. I don't know if it's, you know, the time to start to overreact. It's just that this year, that's how things have gone so far. Maybe next week gets better, who knows? But right now, I'm pretty sure that Channel 9 wouldn't be wrapped with the first week of the Open. Maybe the second week is better. Now, last weekend, our first one back for this year, Jordan, mm -hmm. we didn't talk about Twitter. No. But we said we would this week because we there's always a lot going on with Twitter. So, what have we missed over the last four weeks since we last discussed Twitter? Because there must be plenty happening. Oh, there's there's too much to, for one podcast episode. <laughs> but one thing that did stand out for me was the relationship that Twitter has with media and vice versa. Because we know that advertisers, they left Twitter in, in bunches when Elon took charge. They were really fearful that uh, his views on content moderation in particular would expose them to having their content or ads placed beside some inappropriate content. Yep. In some cases, that did actually happen. Yep. Um, but media outlets just can't seem to let go. They, uh, Twitter has these content deals with about 40 news outlets um, and media companies and sports leagues in the first half of this year. Uh, some of the publishers for sport would be CBS, ESPN, Fox. For yep. news, it's Wall Street Journal, USA yep. Today and Forbes. And then entertainment, you've got things like Paramount, Disney and uh, NBCU. But um, 
What's interesting about this is that Elon wasn't a part of these original deals, yet they're still in place. Yeah, okay, I wondered what the impact of Elon was on these. Yeah, so he wasn't a part of making these deals. Like the, These particular deals often sit as multi-year deals, so one to three years, yep. and they were mostly brokered before Elon took over. So why do you think media has stuck with Twitter? Um, there's very little financial downside for publishers who stay in these content deals. They reap so much revenue and marketing advantage to, to just quit. Yep. Um, but at the same time, none of them want to be known to be in agreements or keeping these deals yep. together because they fear the reputational damage from this Musk-era Twitter so, you know, when, when asked to comment on various articles I read this morning, all declined to comment. Yeah, I just look at this and when you look at Twitter at the moment, and obviously it's got its challenges with this. Uh, there's been some reporting this week of a very important financial deadline coming up for Elon Musk in terms mm. of his takeover of Twitter and what's going to happen with this financial deadline. How will Musk um, approach it, even to the point where... Would Twitter fall into bankruptcy? Who knows? That's seen as being unlikely. But hey, it's Elon Musk. It's Twitter. It's a wild ride at present. Mm. I look these deals with media content deals with Twitter. I just liken it a bit to, um, you know, maybe the old dance, the old public dance in the, mm. in the town hall where you know there's a couple of people who might be a bit unpopular there. Yeah, and. Uh, end up dancing with each other. Mm, no one else left. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. media needs eyeballs. We know that. Oh, of course it does. At least Twitter's a chance for them to get eyeballs. Twitter needs revenue mm -hmm. and it needs eyeballs as well. Yes. So we've got two people here having a dance, whether they really want to dance with each other or not. Yeah. But that's what they're there for. Yeah. So let's see where that goes. But mm. on this wider social media thing and – Twitter's not mentioned in this, but this week some very interesting um, research on brand value and TikTok overtaking Facebook. So this was a story that was published um, in a lot of different outlets this week, which looks at uh, global brand value rankings mm -hmm. uh, and uh, TikTok's surge up those global uh, rankings. So what this looks at it ranks brand value in terms of how much of a company's profits can be attributed to its brand, okay? Yes. So uh, it, it's, it's set as being obviously a key factor when we're looking at trying to value companies for takeovers, etc. It also measures brand strength. It's, uh, it's separate, but it's a related score out of 100. So there's been some good coverage of this this week. Financial Review's done this really well. And what we found was that the um, number 10 was TikTok coming in uh, behind a few others. But, uh, Jordan, you've got the top ten there and they are an interesting group. Yep. Um, no surprise, the top two being Amazon at number one and Apple at number two. Uh, in the third spot, you've got Google. Fourth is Microsoft. Fifth is Walmart. Sixth is Samsung. Seven is ICBC, which is a Chinese bank, if you're not familiar. Uh, eight is Verizon. 
Nine is Tesla, and then as you said, ten was TikTok. Yeah, so Tesla goes up nineteen places. Yeah, so quite a jump. Well, Elon hasn't got a Twitter in the top ten. He's got Tesla uh, up in the top ten. Another brand he's associated with. Mm-hmm. Look, this is not surprising from a TikTok viewpoint. We keep talking about how much it's growing. It's currently the disruptor. It'll be disrupted soon enough. That's the way social media plays out. But on this list, it's tripled its value. Um, since 2021 so you can see tiktok's the flavor of the month there obviously something for facebook to consider we know that facebook still searches for the metaverse and what might happen in the metaverse and there's all sorts of things that continue on right now all this research and development to try Mm -hmm. to get this next level to social media but tiktok's the one riding the wave at the moment so some interesting figures there this week now jordan we mentioned last week Prince Harry. Yes, the spare. The spare and the book. Now, (laughs) there's a lot going on here, which has come back again this week. Now, we introduced to this equation because we always like to see how these stories play out with audiences and and what attention audiences pay to them. Because in the end, audiences really lead the news outlets on Mm -hmm. these. They're the ones the news outlets can sort of tell when they lose interest, but they're not losing interest in the Prince Harry situation. No. And we bring in a, another character here in Jeremy Clarkson. What's happened? Yes, yeah, so Jeremy Clarkson, I doubt you're unfamiliar with his name, but he's the, the bloke that's on Top Gear, uh, among other things. But it's interesting that this particular story's popped up again because most of the drama occurred last year in uh, December. That's true. Um, so yep. Jeremy, he's a columnist and he published a uh, column on, uh, sorry, in The Sun on the 16th of December last year and it was pretty red hot, uh, aimed at the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, to the point where he explained that his hatred for her is on a cellular level. So, yeah. He, he pre- did have one quote. In it. I hadn't really paid yeah, much attention to this he, column. He... Um, but one just, thing he wrote... Yeah, the Game of Thrones thing. Well, no, he wrote uh, something here in the column. He wrote that he lay in bed dreaming of the yes. day <laughs> when uh, Meghan Markle is made to parade naked through the That's streets it. of every town in Britain while the crowds chant shame and throw lumps of excrement at her. Yes, so that's, re- that's, that's um, off a Game of Thrones reference, or so he claims. That's... Uh, that's it's a bit colourful. Yeah, that's very colourful. And that's obviously gone straight past every gatekeeper there at the Sun and been published and obviously caused a fair bit of controversy, a lot of complaints. Yeah, so once the column went up, um, yeah, in the days that followed, there were more than 20,000 comments that came in. So it became the most complained about article in the, in the paper's history. Well, that's a big thing for the Sun. Yes. <laughs> Um, so it was removed a few days later um, when Jeremy requested it be removed um, and it followed a tweet which he you know, effectively said, sorry, my bad, I didn't proof it, didn't think about it. But um, it's back in the news now because Jeremy's posted on Instagram a lengthy statement uh, just four days ago where he explains that he emailed the royal couple on Christmas Day to apologise formally. Um, the couple has... Completely rejected the apology um, <laughs> and according to a comment made to The Guardian, they want an explanation for this long-standing pattern of writing articles that spread hate rhetoric, dangerous conspiracy theories and misogyny. And um, look, it just seems to be getting worse and worse for Jeremy. 
He's been dropped from Amazon where his two hit shows, The Grand Tour and Clarkson's Farm, live. He won't appear on Amazon from 2024 because those arrangements for those two shows are in place for this year. Okay. Uh, And then ITV's issued this odd statement which sort of indicates that maybe his future as host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire might be nearing an end as well off the back of this. But, um, yeah, look, the reaction of him being axed by Amazon and supposedly ITVs, it's it's upset a lot of people, particularly Amazon subscribers. Many of them have um, posted their unsubscribed screenshots to Twitter and other social media saying they don't agree with with the decision. So what do you think about that? It's a bit of the world we live in now. The the cancel culture is pretty rife. I agree that the comments were a bit red hot, probably a bit too much for the paper. Um, so I very, mu- very much understand that response from readers, but I, I disagree with how quickly Amazon and a lot of people have just condemned Jeremy. I mean, is it so inconceivable that someone who says something they don't mean or later regret isn't a bad person? Um, sometimes I think people forget that columnists are paid to share their opinions and they are their own opinions and while that comes with a level of responsibility, do we have to cancel everything that offends us, you know? Yeah, I'm always interested by, you know, being a former newspaper editor, I'm interested in the way different columnists operate because all of these big-name columnists have different ways to operate. So what's Jeremy Clarkson like when he submits his column? Because mm. I, I don't care how good a writer you are you always need sub editors to go and look over your column and you know make sure there's no mistakes here or there Mm. make sure the tone of it fits because in the end the columnist is a contributor (laughs) they're not on staff and they bring a different feel to it so i'd like to know what the reputation of jeremy clarkson was among the news desk at the sun because Mm. that line that I read out before is clearly unacceptable. Mm. It's clearly unacceptable. So uh, why did someone not pick that up? Does Clarkson have a reputation as being someone who doesn't like to have his copy corrected? I have no idea. But what I'm interested in is seeing how this happens because all these columnists (laughs) are different. I remember when I was a cricket writer, um, uh, Australian captains would have a column deal and they all had different approaches to it. Stephen Wall would write his column longhand on Phil's cap paper and, right. and hand it in. Adam Gilchrist would write he would type his column on his laptop and send it through. Mm. Ricky Ponting preferred to uh, speak to his ghostwriter and have a, a long chat to his ghostwriter for his column. Everyone's got different styles. Mm-hmm. But in the end, when you've got a change copy, if you think, you know what, this doesn't quite fit with our newspaper, someone's got to make a call on that. And I always remember one of the English cricket writers when I was a, I was a cricket writer once saying that uh, Michael Parkinson, the legendary uh, interviewer on television with his famous Parkinson show, had a column and in an English newspaper and he was one of the nicest people ever to deal with. <coughs> so the sub-editors really liked working with Parkinson because he would send his copy in if there was a mistake they would have to ring him up and he would be so grateful that the mistake was found. So they loved working with him. Okay. So, you know, if you if this was perhaps something in that nature from a Michael Parkinson, then, then maybe it gets 
not saying he would write this type of thing. So I don't really know what's happened with that, but what it's done is ensured that this story just keeps on rolling. It just keeps going. And I'm sure that people aren't fed up with it yet. And the Prince Harry thing will keep going for a little while yet because there's going to be all little things that bobble up. Now, whether it's still going in 12 months is another question, as we discussed last week. Mm -hmm. But right now, uh, it is popular. Jordan, two words I never thought we'd say again on this podcast in terms of something new. Sony Walkman. Yep. Why are we saying Sony Walkman and get ready, here it comes? Well, they just put out two new models of its portable player, the Walkman. Um, the company, obviously, well known for the the, the portable tape decks and those foam covered uh, headphones. Yeah. yeah so yeah, we're yeah. not talking here the from the eighties. Yeah, I remember them very well. Obviously, um, you'd put your cassette tape in there and you'd turn it on, and you had those dodgy old headphones yep. that everyone could hear what you were listening yep. to anyway. Yep. The ones they get on planes now. Yeah. 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 That's it. Are they back? They are, but they actually never went away, believe it or not. Um, since 2004, they just converted over to digital only. And then since 2012, they've run on Google's Android software. Um, but Sony is betting that there are enough audio files, at least in Japan, the UK and Europe, where they're currently on sale to support a standalone device. Um, so there's two devices. They're valued at 500 and 1100 AUD. Uh, they offer sound quality that's unmatched by rival devices, and that is their biggest selling point. Um, they've matched it with some really modern design with some nods to the old cassette players, all the buttons are down the side there, yep. which sort of gives the same feel. Yep. Um, and I'll be interested to see what the consumers think. They're not available in Australia yet, but hopefully we will get them. So, so why... Speaking like an old man here, mm. why would I go and get a Sony Walkman when I have a smartphone mm. that can play music and store audio files, etc.? So why would I do that? Uh, well, this is aimed at the audio file. So you know, if you're not an audio nerd, it probably won't mean much to you. But it's the sound quality. And to be specific, this probably make no sense to most people. The 16-bit, 44.1 kilohertz lossless codec audio. Of course. Yep, I understand. Yeah, I might yep. cross that. means nothing to most people, but um, and it probably doesn't sound too different to most people, but to those who really appreciate the high-quality audio, it's a massive deal. Um, and, but, yeah, look, do enough people care to sell them? That's what Sony's sort of betting on. Um, so question without notice then. Mm, okay. If, how much of a difference, if you've got a Sony Walkman, mm. how much of a difference do your super-duper headphones make? Your super-duper headphones? Yeah, so if you, could you, do, do the headphones potentially impact on the sound quality? Yes, yeah, certainly. It depends, you know, what sort of quality headphones you have. If you've just got the small, you know, uh, similar to the Apple yep. earphones... They haven't got much depth, and then there's not, they're only tiny. Yeah, yeah. If you've got the big headphones with some capability, you'd be perfect. You'll notice it. Absolutely. Um, another benefit for the Walkman over the smartphone is the fact that it simply just isn't a smartphone. You know, when you go away on holidays, it's, it's a nice replacement. You can still access the internet, you've got all your music streaming platforms you can put onto it. Um, but you just don't have the disruption of the, the, the calls, the texts. So no the one can bother relentless you. Relentless social media, that's it. Okay. Um, but my favourite probably feature for the Walkman would be 
the ability to place your own music files onto the device. Right. Now, I know you can do that through iTunes or music now because iTunes has stopped for the, uh, the iPhone, but because yeah. they're so wound and cohesive with streaming platforms now, subscriptions, that sort of go and search, download your music and load it on, that's sort of gone a bit. But I've got so much music that I can't find or it doesn't exist on streaming platforms a lot of them are in this lossless quality that I can't listen to in lossless quality. So it would be a really useful device in that way for me and I couldn't do that on my iPhone. Okay, so if the Sony Walkman comes to Australia, Jordan McDonald will be purchasing. Oh, if I've got a spare 500 lying around. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be on target. <coughs> What's the weekend like for you? Audio involved music it is involved. audio involved it's the first weekend back into the regular work weekend okay so I'll, uh, what have we got? i've got something tonight and then i've got the yacht and another place tomorrow so okay back into it i hope the weather holds up it's a bit miserable that it today. is a bit miserable we'll enjoy the weekend you too